I really like Mike Seizia, in case you didn't uh, recognize the name. Mike is the student minister here at the church, and uh, he gave the meditations today. I like him for several reasons. Number one, I like him because he's from Kentucky, and I'm from Kentucky. Now, he doesn't talk like most of us from Kentucky, but he is from Kentucky. Second, I really like Mike because he is an excellent third baseman on our church softball team over in Kissimmee. For the past couple of years, when he was finishing out his college work, he uh, played softball with us on Friday nights, and he's an excellent softball player. He needs to start a softball team in the church here. You know, usually when churches call me, bad things have happened. Uh, just about always. Hardly ever will a church call me and say, we'd like for you to come and preach uh, for about three months. I say, well, what's, what's going on? Well, nothing's going on. We just want you to come over and preach for three months. <laughs> Nobody calls me and asks me to do that. But bad things usually uh, have happened. And when those bad things happen, churches frequently take a dive. Offerings are down. Attendance is down. And usually they try to maintain every program that the church has to offer in spite of the fact that they're one fewer minister on staff, at least, and attendance is down, offerings are down, and so they try to maintain everything. And one of the things that I try to tell the church is to do fewer things, but do those things better. And that way the church will continue to prosper. But I want you to know that of the 10 churches that I've served in retirement, three to six months or so, sometimes as long as a year, this church is a, is a really, really good church. Now, there are several reasons for that. One, of course, is that excellent praise team that you have up front. Christina does a great job, doesn't she? She's not here to hear you, but she does a great job. But the true test... I think, of a great worship leader is somebody that when they're not here, their replacements do a quality job. And uh, they were excellent this morning. When I was talking to Andy McGaffigan a little bit uh, this week about uh, the, the church and the fine church that this is and the maintenance of attendance and enthusiasm and programming and uh, excellence, uh, he mentioned the church staff. By name, he mentioned Ken and uh, Sarah and Christina and Mike, and I'm not sure whether he mentioned some others or not, but uh, he just wanted you to know how much the elders appreciate the church staff that are working hard, that are uh, enthusiastic, that are keeping their noses to the grindstone, working uh, to make sure that legacy is the best that it can be. Your elders are also an excellent group of men, and you need to pray for them, of course, but uh, don't push them too quickly to hire somebody. You would not want them to hire the wrong preacher, would you? Uh, And so it's so important for them to be very careful about who they hire to come and lead that ch- this church. And I really believe they're going to do an excellent job and uh, they will find the right person who will lead this church in a proper way. Um, 
Also, you may encounter somebody as a guest that is a prospective minister. Uh, I believe that might have happened uh, recently. And uh, so if you would be on your best behavior <laughs> so that when that person is located, you'll be very impressive and he will come and be your preacher. I know you will. Last week, I launched a series of messages entitled The Gravity of Another World. We are affected by the gravity of this world and the gravity of the kingdom of God. Gravity is a force that physically keeps us from flinging off of the face of the earth. And we learned last week that the larger a mass in space is, the greater the gravitational pull it will have. I don't know whether you knew that or not, but it's true. The earth's gravitational pull is greater than the moon. And the sun's gravitational pull is greater than the earth or the moon. And Jesus told stories about, not gravity, but about the gravitational pull of the kingdom of God. Today we're going to look at one of those in Matthew the 13th chapter, beginning with verse 3. Matthew the 13th chapter, beginning with verse 3. And uh, there's a should be a Bible around someplace for you to pick up and take a look at. Words will be on the screen. Bulletin has an insert for you to follow along. Jesus said, Then he told them many things in parables, saying, A farmer went out to sow his seed. As he was scattering the seed, some fell along the path, and the birds came and ate it up. Some fell on rocky places where it did not have much soil. It sprang up quickly because the soil was shallow. But when the sun came up, the plants were scorched, and they withered because they had no root. Other seed fell among thorns, which grew up, choked the plants. Still other seed fell on good soil, where it produced a crop a hundred, sixty, thirty times what was sown. He who has ears, let him hear. Now, over the next eight verses, Jesus' disciples ask him, why are you telling these stories? And Jesus' answer was basically this. My strategy is to tell a story that will awaken the hearts of people who normally don't understand because they don't want to. It's not that they can't. They won't. They choose not to. And that's why he says in verse 9, He who has ears, let him hear. Then in verse 18, Jesus interpreted infallibly interpreted his own story. Verse 18. Listen then to what the parable of the sower means. When anyone hears the message about the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes, snatches away what was sown in his heart. This is the seed sown along the path. The one who received the seed that fell on rocky places is the man who hears the word and at once receives it with joy. But since he has no root, he lasts only a short time. When trouble or persecution comes because of the word, he quickly falls away. The one who received the seed that fell among the thorns is the man who hears the word, but the worries of this life and the deceitfulness of wealth choke it, making it unfruitful. But the one who received the seed that fell on good soil is the man who hears the word and understands it. He produces a crop yielding a hundred, sixty, thirty times 
what was sown. Now, most scholars believe that this was Jesus' first parable. And this is a story about growth and grace. I want you to notice three components in this story. I'll start with the letter S. The sower, the seed, and the soil. And you pick up a sense in this parable of what, is, uh, what the elements are. The sense of the parable by what elements are dynamic, what elements change, and what stays the same. Well, the, sto- the sower is the same. In fact, in another story, in the same chapter, in verse 37, Jesus identifies the sower as the Lord Jesus himself. As an irrational, proactive force. He scatters good seed in a generous, gracious, irrational, extravagant way. He scatters seed over all kinds of soil. Now, any farmer knows where the good soil is and where the bad soil is. But this farmer indiscriminately scatters the seed. Didn't care where it goes. Hard ground, rocky ground, weedy ground. The seed is the same. It will grow wherever it gets a chance. Now the seed represents the word of God. In fact, it's mentioned four times. Hear the word, hear the word, four times in this chapter. This seed will produce everywhere where it is allowed to grow in a human heart. And this is what Peter talks about in 1 Peter 1, verse 23, where he says, You have been born again, not through perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and enduring word of God. And he continues in verse 24. All men are like grass, all their glory like the flowers of the field. The grass withers, the flowers fall, but the word of the Lord stands forever. And this... This is the word that was preached to you. So the story is not about good sowers and bad sowers, good seed and bad seed, but soil. Soil. And the soil represents you and me. You could substitute heart for soil. But here's the point. There's a good, gracious sower who is distributing high-powered, quality seed. And the essential part of the process is the soil, the condition of the soil. You need to understand that we need to accept responsibility for the condition of our soil. For the condition of our hearts, we have to accept responsibility for that. I heard about a farmer who was experiencing another bad year on the farm, and he went to see the manager of his bank. And he said to the banker, I've got some good news for you and some bad news. Which would you like to hear first? Well, the banker said, let me have the bad news first and get it over with. So the farmer said, okay, with the terrible drought we've had, I won't be able to pay anything on the mortgage this year. Well, that's pretty bad, the banker said. It gets worse, the farmer said. I also won't be able to pay anything on the loan for the machinery that I bought. Wow, the banker said, that really is bad. It's worse than that, the farmer said. You remember all the money that I borrowed for fertilizer and other supplies like seed? Well, I can't pay anything on that either. That's awful, the banker said. 
Tell me, what is the good news? Well, the farmer said, the good news is that I intend to keep on doing business with you. You know, somewhere along the line, we have to accept responsibility for our own soil, for our own heart. So let's look at these four kinds of soil. First, the hard heart. And Jesus encourages you, if your heart is hard, to open up. Matthew 13, verse 19. When anyone hears the message about the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what was sown in his heart. Notice that word heart. We're not talking about soil. We're talking about hearts. That is the seed along the path. Now, it's not that they can't understand. It's that they won't understand. They won't understand. Now, there are all kinds of reasons why people have hard hearts. Their hearts get harder and harder. First, some people's hearts are hard because of disappointments. Disappointments harden hearts. How many of you know somebody who went through a family tragedy and they are blaming God for it? You've heard of Ted Turner, Turner Broadcasting, Turner Field in Atlanta, Georgia. Ted Turner is openly anti-God. He has been quoted as saying, Christianity is a religion for losers. And he is so uncomfortable with the Christian faith that he blames his third divorce to Jane Fonda, the actress, on the fact that she actually joined a church. He is classic hard soil. But Ted Turner was not always that way. When he was a boy, he was a devout follower of Christ. But when he was 20, he watched his younger sister, 15-year-old sister, Mary Jane, die from a crippling form of lupus. And Turner said, watching his sister die killed his faith. And he blamed God for his sister's death. And he's been mad at God for the 50 plus years ever since. Here's a guy who's holding God responsible for the fact that his sister lived in a corrupt sinful world that was made that way by man's rebellion against God. Ironically, if his sister was a Christian when she was young, for the past 50 plus years, she has been safe in heaven, blessed, healthy, strong, while her brother, who claims to love her so much, has been railing against the same God who's been caring for his sister in heaven for the last 50 years. Turner's interpretation of what happened, disappointment, unfulfilled hopes, unanswered prayers in his life are the cause of the hardness of his heart. He has chosen a hard heart. And a lot of people do that. Second, some people's hearts get harder because of repeated refusal to honor and obey God. They say no, no, no to God so often that each time it gets easier to say no. Like the little girl who refused to obey her parents, she was incorrigible. She wouldn't do anything her parents wanted her to do. 
She was stubborn and callous. She threw temper tantrums. And finally, her father had had enough, and so he stuck her in the closet. And the screams continued, and they escalated. And protests, and cries, and screams. But eventually, they died down. Her father became a little concerned, so he opened the closet door. And there she was, her arms crossed, a scowl on her face. And she said, I spit on your clothes, and I spit on your shoes, and I'm sitting here waiting for more spit. Some of us are like that. Third, some people develop hard hearts because of sin. In Romans, the first chapter, verse 21, the Bible says, For although they knew God, they neither glorified Him as God nor gave thanks to Him. But their thinking became futile. Foolish hearts were darkened. And then in verse 28, Furthermore, since they did not think it worthwhile to retain the knowledge of God, He gave them over to a depraved mind to do what ought not to be done. Some of our hearts are so hard that the words of God just ricochet off of our hearts like BBs off of concrete. Even if your heart is hard, God loves you. And He is casting seed on that hard ground. He's coming after you. And God uses two forces to come after hard-hearted people. One is love. And the other is pain. Some of you are here because of love. Somebody loved you enough. Somebody cared for you enough. They invited you to church. Or they had some sort of influence in your life. And you are where you are because somebody loved you. But some of you are here because of pain. God uses pain. And suffering reminds cocky people that they are not in control. Did you hear about the old Texas rancher who was out working on his land and a drug enforcement agent shows up and the drug agent says, I need to inspect your land for drugs. The farmer said, okay, but whatever you do, don't go in that field over there. Well, the drug agent said, look, I'm going to show you my badge. You see this badge? This badge says that I am from the federal government. And I can go anywhere, anytime, any place that I want to go. No questions asked. No answers given. Well, the rancher just shrugged his shoulders and went back to work. But pretty soon, the rancher heard screaming coming from that drug agent. And he looked up. And he saw that drug agent running at full gait across the field. His legs were pumping like pistons. And right on his tail was a 3,000-pound bull gaining with every step. And the old rancher shouted at the top of his lungs, Show him your badge! Show him your badge! <laughs> Suffering reminds cocky people that they are not in control. And some people come to God because of love, but some people come to God out of pain because that's the only thing 
that brings them to their knees. And if you had to choose which way to respond to God, out of love or out of pain, which would you choose? Tim Tebow or Ted Turner? The second kind of heart is a shallow heart, rocky soil. There's an old Arab story that says that when God created the world, he put all of the rocks for the whole world into two bags and he gave them to the angels. And as the angels flew over Israel, one of the bags ripped and half of the rocks for the whole world fell on Israel. Now Jesus wasn't talking about rocks, but about hearts. Verse 21, or 20, Jesus said, The one who received the seed that fell on rocky places is the man who hears the word and at once receives it with joy. But since he has no root, he lasts only a short time. When trouble or persecution comes because of the word, he quickly falls away. Now here's a guy who quickly receives God's word. He gets excited, excited about the church, excited about the Bible, right up until it gets hard. And the first time he gets discouraged, the first time he gets pushed away or let down or put down, he wilts. Now, this lack of commitment is in everything. When things are easy, I'm good to go. But when things get tough, I bail. I change jobs. Or I change churches. Or I change small groups. Or I change marriages. Change churches. That is shallow. Shallow approach to life. Did you hear about the guy they found on the deserted island? They found a guy all by himself on a deserted island, but he had three huts. They said, well, why do you have three huts? Well, he said, this one is my home. This is where I live. They said, what about the other one? Well, that's my church. I'm very religious. I go to church all the time. He said, well, what about the third hut? He said, that's where I used to go to church. We couldn't get along over there. (laughs) Roots require time and endurance. And you determine the kind of soil, the kind of heart that you have. And if your heart is shallow, Jesus would encourage you, drill down. Drill down. The way you do that is through Christian discipline. Make God's Word a priority in your life. That means you read, you study God's Word. Serve the Lord in some ministry in the church. One of the things that anchors somebody to the church is to be involved in some sort of ministry in the church. Statistics indicate that if you were to join a ministry and become involved in a ministry, you are much less likely to leave the church you're much more likely to put your life centered even more so in the church. Now, you need to be a part of a ministry. You had the ministry fair last week. Didn't end then. There's a need for you to join a ministry in the church. And one of the reasons is so that you'll stick with it. 
That means you give generously and consistently to the Lord's work every week, every month, every year, year after year after year. And all the things that I'm talking about, they're not sexy. They're not necessarily exciting. They just mark the person who has put his roots down deep. The psalmist describes that in the very first psalm. Blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked or stand in the way of sinners or sit in the seat of mockers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord. And on his law he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted, planted by streams of water. Yields its fruit in season, whose leaf does not wither. Whatever he does prospers. The psalmist is describing the successful life. And if you want to be successful in life, young person, put your deep roots down in God's word and in this church. The third kind is the cluttered heart. The cluttered heart. Look at verse 22. The one who received the seed that fell among the thorns is the man who hears the word, but the worries of this life and the deceitfulness of wealth choke it, making it unfruitful. Now, some of you have probably done some gardening. Have you ever done any gardening? Probably most of us have at some point or other done some gardening. And you see that some soil is good soil, but it is cluttered with weeds. And some weeds can look pretty good. Sometimes you can't tell the difference between the weed and the plant. And if you're not careful, you'll pull up the weed or pull up the plant instead of the weed. But the weeds choke the good plant out of getting the nourishment that it needs and the possibility of becoming what God intends it to be. Now, if your heart is cluttered, cut back. Cut back. Now, when we talk about our lives being cluttered, we talk about it like it's inconsequential. It's a nuisance, like a closet. We close the door, and we don't look at it. You see, we've got a little clutter problem. Now, this may be the most dangerous soil condition of all. It is subtle. It is the over-involved part. This soil belongs to the person who has so many different interests in life that the good things of this life crowd out the best things that God wants us to do. That's the reason why Paul in Colossians 3 said, Set your minds on things above, not on things on the earth. You know who are the most in danger here? Successful people. Those who have a measure of success. Because the more successful you are, the more apt you are to succumb to a cluttered heart. The more successful you get, the more things you accumulate. So you buy a camper. Or you buy a boat. Golf clubs. A lot of fishing stuff. Hunting gear. And... Sometimes those things, even though they're all really good, can crowd what's best out of your life. And the blessing of the camper becomes a curse instead of a blessing. And the gravitational pull is away from the kingdom of God. It doesn't have to be that way. When God blesses you, though, Satan has a strategy to neutralize that uh, that blessing and to flip it into a curse. By suggesting 
you are so smart. You are so successful. You've worked so hard. You've worked harder than anybody else I know. You've got it all together. You are entitled. Don't worry about church this weekend. Look at what you've accomplished. And when you think that, I hope that you recognize that for the satanic belching that it is. Now, when you defeat the gravitational pull of the shallow soil, you'll be blessed. And then the temptation will come. And you'll have to say no to a lot of really fun things in life in order to say yes to some things that God wants you to do in his kingdom. The fourth kind of soil is good soil that Jesus talks about here. Verse 23, but the one who received the seed that fell on good soil is the man who hears the word and understands it. He produces a crop yielding 160, 30 times what was sown. Now, when you get an image of successful, good soil, what do you picture? I'll tell you what I picture. I picture an Iowa cornfield. Corn, 10 feet tall. You can't see over it. When you're on the back of a horse, tall, thick, green, blowing in the wind, beautiful. One of the surprises of this story is the level, the extreme level of fruitfulness that Jesus describes. Now, a good crop in that day would produce eight to one, eight kernels of harvest for one kernel planted. But Jesus said this good soil produces 30, 60, 100 to 1. And the listeners in Jesus' day would be thinking, 100 to 1? That's unbelievable. Don't worry about getting out of church early today, okay? Because I think I hear rain. Now, before we wrap this up, let's acknowledge the character of the sower. The scholars, we have for years called this the parable of the soils because the soils are the dynamic element in this parable but Jesus didn't call it the parable of the soils in fact in verse 18 Jesus called this he said behold the parable of the sower you see Jesus is telling us something about his own heart in this story, a Midwestern farmer went to church one Sunday and his preacher was preaching about this parable of the soils. And after church, the farmer went out to lunch with the preacher. And the preacher asked the farmer, what did you think of the sermon? And the farmer said, I'll tell you one thing, Jesus didn't know beans about farming. Now, from one perspective... That is exactly right. Because here is a farmer who is throwing seed everywhere. He throws the seed on the hard ground. That's the same as throwing it on the blacktop out there. He's throwing the seed among the rocks and throwing seed in the weeds. What kind of farmer would do something like that? Seed is expensive. And this farmer is wasting all of this valuable seed everywhere. What kind of farmer would do such a foolish thing? 
And this is where we overinterpret the story. Because Jesus is not talking about a good farmer producing a good crop. He's talking about a good God who loves a lost world. And this God is so loving and so caring. This God is so anxious for people to become part of his kingdom and grow and be the right kind of person, the right kind of Christian, that this God is willing to throw seed on hard soil and rocky soil and weedy soil as long as you live. That's the kind of God that we have. Because this God loves, this God loves hard hearts. We may not, but God does. This God loves cluttered hearts and shallow hearts. And all three turn us off, but they don't turn God off. And it's our responsibility as part of his kingdom to be sowers and to be servants. Let's stand together and let's pray. Father in heaven, we are grateful for the opportunity that we've had to spend just a little time in your word, to open it up and to let you speak to us about these hearts about our hearts and about what is on your heart that you love. You love hard-hearted people and shallow-hearted people and cluttered-hearted people. But you want us to become good-hearted like you. To that end, we offer our lives and ask, for you to help us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.